You are listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. For more information about our church, please visit www.hopechurchipswich.net. Good morning, you're doing okay? Great. As Tim said, my name's Tom, and today I'm going to be kicking off a new series which we're calling Sex Etc. And now before we get there, I just want to just share a couple of things. If you're new here, um, and maybe it's your first time, you wouldn't be aware that today is quite a special Sunday for us, as we have had not one, but two services. And this is the second service, and uh, we had a great time, as Tim said earlier on. I do really believe that this is going to be uh, very significant for us as a church, in that we will grow. I don't mean numerically, I mean in terms of us as individuals, we will grow through this, because many already have stepped up into, um, into to various serving teams, uh, taking... Uh, uh, steps of faith in doing that. I know that many more are considering it as well. Um, we as a church will grow in our depth of community as well, as we're able to look out for each other more. And uh, I also believe we're going to grow in our ability to welcome people uh, in a better way into the life of the church here. Um, so I'm so excited about this. Why don't you um, invite your friends next week, invite friends in the coming weeks, um, and God, well, let's see what God does amongst us, shall we? The other thing to say is that last week, Morris, um, who's one of the other elders here at the church, he spoke and uh, announced that in March we're going to be taking a special offering for our building. Now, over the last year or so, we've been um, in negotiations with the, uh, the borough council about purchasing this building from them. We don't own it outright. We have it for another 20 years on a lease. We own the car park and we don't own this building outright. We are looking to see what God would have us do in terms of our building in the years to come. We are believing that God will have a bigger premises for us and an improved uh, facilities for us as well. That's going to cost money, whether that be here or in another site. And so in March, on the 13th and 20th of March, we're taking a special offering for the building so that when we do know exactly where it is that God wants us to be, we're able to go and ready to um, make some moves on that. So we're looking to raise £100,000 in March, which uh, with a church of about 250 adults, that seems like a big and daunting task. But the great news is we have a big God. So I believe that we're going to raise it. I believe that God's going to provide for us in this. I think that um, we're going to show Ipswich that there's a God that is greater than money. And uh, as we do that, God's going to uh, provide for everything we need. We, we, we've told that we seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, that everything else we need will be given to us. So let's even now be considering what we can give into that offering. Sarah and I have had discussions about that already, about what we can give. And uh, I'd encourage you, even though it's a month away and we tend to think on a sort of day-by-day basis often, think already, what can we be giving uh, on those offering days in March? Okay, as I said, we're starting a new series today called Sex Etc. This is a big series for us, and uh, it's a six-week series. Uh, It's important for us that we uh, get to the bottom of what the Bible has to say about sex and relationships and singleness, and uh, to apply these truths to our lives. If you miss a talk in this series, whether it be because you're serving uh, on a team that means you're not in uh, during the preach, or if you're away one weekend, can I encourage you to get hold of the sermon online? You can go on our website. Very soon we're going to have a new website, which you'll be able to uh, see uh, in the next week or two. Um, If you miss a talk, download it and listen to it. We also have an an iTunes podcast that you can listen to as well. This is going to be a a helpful series for you, whether you're married, whether you're single, whether you're divorced, whatever your situation in life and whatever your background, these messages are going to be helpful for you. So do listen up and take note. Now, before we start, I've got a confession to make. I have a problem in this area. Now, my wife is at the first service, so she's not hearing this. I have a problem in that every day on my walk to work, I see women who want to sleep with me. 
And then I go into town, walking around, see maybe a dozen more just giving me the eye, you know, just letting me know they, wanna, they want me. <laughs> and then I just go, go to the office, turn the computer on, and there's more women there just flirting with me, making it known that I'm quite hot. You know, they really want me. It's a big problem for me. It's a massive problem. Now, I'm, of course, <laughs> exaggerating slightly. I'm, of course, exaggerating to make a point here. We live in a very sexualized society where wherever we turn, there are sexualized images, provocative images, uh, advertising, selling products. And uh, often as I'm walking to work, I'll see a couple of billboards which might have a, you know, a fairly provocative image or same in town, same as we open up our computers. There's images everywhere that are calling out to us. Sex sells. It has done for decades it's a very effective way of marketing a product, whether it be perfume, and uh, no, no doubt you'll have seen many perfume adverts on telly, which make you feel rather uncomfortable, especially if you're watching it with your mum, for example, you know, at Christmas time or something like that. Um, black and white perfume adverts, which are a bit racy. Um, magazines with a the picture of a good-looking guy or a good-looking lady on the front, whether it be <clears throat> um, selling cars, whatever it might be, sex sells. It's an effective method of selling products. It's been the case for, for many decades. However, the difference now is that what is acceptable now was deemed highly offensive 50 or 60 years ago. So what is broadly acceptable now, images that we think, yeah, that's okay now, for 50 or 60 years ago were, were really, really offensive. And so things have changed massively. If you look at the music industry, for example, uh, when I was a teenager, I used to sit for hours watching music channels, very unhelpful, very unhelpful, because more and more music videos have become sexualized, whether it be uh, men walking around without their tops on, showing off their amazing abs, or women walking around in bikinis and dancing around. These are commonplace in the music industry today. Uh, if you are a, a believer here, if you're a fan of Justin Bieber, who's enjoying a bit of a renaissance at the moment, his latest uh, single, What Do You Mean?, his video is essentially him and a young lady in her, in her underwear. Uh, I happened to flick through the channels, <laughs> honest truth here, flick through the channels, and five seconds of that, I had to turn it off. It's completely unhelpful, although a catchy song as it might be, it's completely unhelpful. I admitted in the first service to uh, almost becoming a believer, because you know, some of his songs are quite catchy at the moment. Some guy afterwards came and offered me prayer for that. <laughs> so uh, uh, I thought that was quite helpful. A couple of years ago, uh, the biggest hit of 2013 was Blurred Lines by Robin Thicke and Pharrell. Uh, many of you will know the song, and if I sang it now, it would be stuck in your head all day. It was a very catchy song. The music video for that song was banned in dozens of countries around the world uh, because it was a, a very explicit video. Don't go and research it, guys. You don't need to know any more than that. It was an unhelpful video. It's the case that more and more, the music industry is pushing a message of sex and the target audience for many of these artists will be young teenagers, so 12 to 14s, 12 to 15s, that kind of age. The biggest consumer of, these, of the music, the biggest uh, viewers of these TV shows will be young teenagers. The boundaries are being pushed more and more, and the age at which people are consuming this material is getting younger and younger. Zayn Malik, anyone know his latest song? Pillow Talk, it's called. Zayn Malik used to be part of One Direction, he left, boohoo, and he's now... <laughs> Uh, released a solo career, which is a massive blessing to the world. And his, uh, his latest song is called Pillow Talk and has some severely, uh, extremely sexual and vulgar language in it. 
And again, his target audience, young teenagers. Look beyond the music industry to look at Hollywood, and it's now the case that in many films that are uh, 15 rated or higher, there will be a sex scene. It used to be the case that when I was a, uh, when I was a teenager, my mates would say, have you seen this film? This, and it would be a, a big thing. A film might have something in it that would be uh, sexually explicit. That was a big deal. And now it's the case where most films of uh, 15 or higher will have something in, uh, of a sexual nature. TV series that we watch on Netflix or Amazon Prime regularly have sex scenes in them, even when they don't add anything to the plot line whatsoever. It's, a regular, it's, a, it's commonplace now. Beyond Hollywood, uh, porn usage has gone through the roof in the last decade. It's now the case that, uh, that many uh, millions of men and women in this country will be addicted to pornography. Covenant Eyes, um, which is a, an accountability service that people can download to protect themselves against uh, online pornography, um, did a survey in 2014 in which they found the following. Amongst 18 to 30-year-old men, 79% viewed pornography at least once a month. Amongst 31 to 49-year-old men, 67%. Amongst 50 to 68-year-old men, 49%. It's not just a problem for men. Amongst women, amongst 18 to 30-year-old women, 76% viewing pornography at least once a month. It drops significantly between 31 and 49-year-old women, 16%. And then even more so between 50 and 68-year-old women to 4%. It's a big deal for men and women. And it's not just adults that are affected here, children as well. A BBC, a BBC study showed last year that a tenth of all 12-year-olds were worried that they might be addicted to pornography. A tenth of 12-year-olds. There's massive consequences for this. You don't need me to tell you this. There are huge consequences for us as a society. Firstly, for those who are in the content themselves, 66% of porn actors have sexually transmitted diseases. 7% have HIV. 77% of porn actresses commented in the Covenant Eyes survey that they resorted to drugs to take away the physical and emotional pain of what they were putting themselves through. There's huge consequences for marriages, as spouses who are addicted to pornography have low levels of desire for their spouse, or unrealistic expectations of what can be done in sex as they see things on the screens that are unnatural or harmful. There's huge consequences for children, some of whom will be trying the things that they see on the screens with their friends and peers. A friend of mine from a very young age became addicted to gay pornography and has struggled with the consequences for that since. Long-term relationships and marriages are impacted as I said, completely unrealistic expectations of sex are put forward through these images. It's not just in the porn industry that unrealistic expectations are spouted. Think about Hollywood for a moment. James Bond, and we all love James Bond, he's a great British icon. Just think for a moment about what he will do in a typical, uh, a typical James Bond film. He will save the world from nuclear destruction. He'll probably be tortured to the point of near death and uh, he will have killed maybe, I don't know, 15 or 20 people in the process of that. And at the very end of the, uh, the film, he will seduce a very beautiful woman and fully satisfy her in bed. Now, that's impossible. <laughs> that's absolutely unrealistic. Firstly, you think he might be pretty smelly after all of that, right? He never needs to go and freshen up. He'd probably have pretty bad breath. <laughs> He's never tired after a stressful day saving the world. It's unrealistic. And in the things that we're consuming, 
we see that people, whatever the weather, they were just ready to go straight away, jump in bed with each other. And it's completely unrealistic. No one ever has to brush their teeth. No one ever has to take some medication because they've got a headache. Anything like that is completely unrealistic. Think about uh, romance novels for a minute. I know uh, many of you here will be into romance novels, and there's some very good ones out there, I'm led to believe. I'm not into it myself. Um, uh, but, and some will be completely harmless. But the expectations of men in particular to be Mr. Darcy... To be, to be the one to, who's, who will run in at the very end and bring the amazing romantic line and lay down his life for uh, the, 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 the woman in the, in, the, in the romance novel. There's these kind of expectations that are placed even in marriages on men or on women, as the case may be. There's also unhealthy novels out there, things like Fifty Shades of Grey. I remember when I was a social worker, just a couple of years ago, I was sitting in my office and suddenly it went eerily quiet. Now, I worked mostly with women as, when I was a social worker, so that was an unusual circumstance uh, for it to go so quiet in the office. And I turned around and there was four or five ladies looking at this book and I thought, oh, I wonder what they're reading. And I asked about it and it was Fifty Shades of Grey. And uh, the ladies in, that, uh, in the office all went down to Asda that afternoon to pick themselves up a copy. Now, again, Fifty Shades of Grey, some really... Uh, some stuff in there which would be potentially dangerous to undergo is being spouted as normal sexual activity. Now, I've laboured my point. It's been pretty gloomy so far. I've really got two points today. One is that we need to get our heads out of the sand. I want to read to you a quote by a guy called Martin Daubney, who used to be the editor of Loaded magazine. Now, Loaded magazine, I think, might have shut down now, but it used to be a magazine where you could Uh, read about cars and uh, all sorts of things, but also have pictures of nude ladies in there. And Martin Daubner used to be uh, the editor of this magazine until he thought, actually, this is really unhealthy and this is not helpful for many people at all, and saw the error of his ways. And he wrote this some years later. Like many parents, I fear that my boy's childhood could be taken away by pornography. We have to fight back. We need to get tech-savvy, and as toe-curling as it seems... We are the first generation that will have to talk to our children about porn. We have to tell our kids that porn sex is fake and real sex is about love, not lust. By talking to them, they stand a chance. If we stick our head in the sand, we are fooling only ourselves. He says we need to get our heads out of the sand, and that is my point My first point today, we need to wake up. We need to see the seriousness of the situation. We need to see that this culture really has become sex mad. And we need to do something about it in our lives, first and foremost. We need to see that the consequences of this sexualization of society are many. Firstly, in our own uh, lives, our own body image, whether we're men or women here, we can be affected by what we are being sold as, this is what a woman should look like, this is what a man should look like. We need to be aware of what this is having an impact on our own body image. Whether it be our marriages and our, the, and our sex within our marriages, our mood, our time, our expectations of romance, our children being affected by this, our feeling of loneliness as well. There was a song by um, the guy who won X Factor a few years ago, James Arthur, and he He didn't have many hits, like most of them on X Factor. He he sort of faded away eventually. He had this song which said, you are no one until somebody loves you. These kinds of messages are being put across in our culture more and more, and it's wrong, it's false. But our sense of loneliness can be affected by what we're consuming 
whether it be in films, in the music industry, or in other series that we're watching. Peter writes in, in 1 Peter chapter 5, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brothers throughout the world. We have to get our heads out of the sand. The last place I'd want to be if there was a lion prowling around is with my head in the sand. I really wouldn't want that. I'd want to be alert and awake and seeing what was going on. And this is what we need to be doing. It's not a popular thing to say in a vastly secular nation, but I do believe that we do have an adversary who is the devil and he is behind the porn industry and he is behind the sexualization of the music industry and pornographic novels and sex trafficking, which is a massive problem even in this town. We need to get our heads out of the sand. We need to be sober-minded. We can be asleep in this age and we can tend to sort of sleepwalk our way through life. And it's when we do that that we walk into error in this area. We need to see what the Bible has to say. There's a mantra in our society that anything is permissible as long as it's not really hurting anyone. The problem is it is hurting people. It is hurting many, many people. Marriage is a mess in this country. It's a mess. There's millions with body image problems. There's many uh, women and indeed men who are struggling with addiction who are now being sold into the sex industry. We need to wake up from our sleep. To quote the guy from the Loaded magazine, we need to get our heads out of the sand. Paul writes in Romans chapter 13 and verse 11, Besides this, you know the time, that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep, for salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. He's using the the word salvation to describe when Jesus returns, when we'll be with him forever. That will be our ultimate salvation, when we go to be with him forever. He's saying that time is nearer now than when you first believed, so you need to wake up. You don't need to be walking around sleepwalking in the darkness. You need to wake up. So that was my first point. We need to get our heads out of the sand. We need to wake up. The second thing we need to do is to walk properly. If we read on in Romans chapter 13, verse 12 to 14, it says this, The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of darkness and put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. We need to learn to walk properly as in the daytime. We need to cast the light of what the Bible teaches about these things onto the darkness of what our culture has to say about these things and see the proper way to walk. So we're going to base ourselves in 1 Corinthians and chapter 6. 1 Corinthians is a book in the New Testament that was originally a letter written by the Apostle Paul to a church in Corinth in Greece. And we're going to read chapter 6. So if you want to turn there, it's in the second half of the Bible, the New Testament. Chapter 6 is the big number. We're going to read from verse 12 onwards. Just to say, these verses are going to come up on the screen as well. And where you see verses in quote marks, it means that Paul is quoting their letter that they sent to him. They sent him a letter asking him a number of questions and seemingly making a lot of statements as well. And he's quoting these back to him, uh, back to them as he's writing. All things are lawful for me, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be dominated by anything. Food is meant for the stomach 
and the stomach for food, and God will destroy both one and the other. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God raised the Lord and will also raise us up by his power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body. But the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you were bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. This passage tackles three prevalent views of sex and relationships that we find in our culture. You've got to note here that there's nothing new under the sun. The things that we are dealing with right now in 21st century Britain are pretty much the same as they were in 1st century Corinth. The first of these views that I'm going to tackle is this. I can do anything I want. Now, the Corinthians had obviously twisted the message of grace that Paul had been teaching. He had clearly taught them that it's not by our own works that we get right with God. It's by faith in Jesus and what he's done for us. That is how we get right with God. That's how we get forgiven, how we get saved. And they twisted this to say, well, this means now we can do anything we like. This means that everything is permissible for me. As long as it's not illegal in the law of the land, I can do whatever I like. And Paul says here, it's possible that you could actually get enslaved by this. It's not beneficial to you. He's saying here that there's things that you can give yourself to which will actually cause you to be a prisoner. It's not beneficial to you. God wants what is best for us. He wants what is beneficial to us. The Bible doesn't say you only get to have sex in marriage. It says sex is so great, save it for marriage. Save it for that time. God created us. He created sex. He created sex good and pleasurable and fun. And in the Garden of Eden, God didn't go off and grab a sandwich and then come back and saw what Adam and Eve were up to and thought, what are you doing? He did that never happened <laughs> because he designed sex. He gave it as a gift. He created all, our, all of our organs. He knows that sex is a good gift, but he knows how best to use it. Last week, it was my son's first birthday and he got given a drum, which was a massive blessing for me and Sarah, as you can imagine. And uh, he didn't have a clue what to do with it. It was a light-up, makes all sorts of sounds drum. And we had to teach him how best to use this gift. Otherwise, he'd probably bashed, his, bashed it on his head or something like that. We had to teach him how best to use this gift to make, to, to make it even more enjoyable for him. It's the same with the gift of sex. God knows how best to use it. Sex has been given a whole book in the Bible. <laughs> Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, as it might be in your version of the Bible, it's a whole book about a, a married couple enjoying romantic love and good sex together. How many other sacred texts have books like that in them? God knows how best we're to use the gift of sex. Solomon, who wrote the book Song of Solomon, unsurprisingly, he had one wife at that time, and his life was good. By the end of his life, he had hundreds of wives and many, many other mistresses, and then he wrote Ecclesiastes. 
And if you've ever read Ecclesiastes, in it he is really depressed. And he says things like, life is utterly meaningless. You can just imagine him sitting, listening to emo music and just staring out the window at the rain as he's writing that. He sees that sex, when it's spent with thousands of people, or even more than one, it's a misuse of the gift. So point number one, I can do anything I want. Well, God knows how exactly best we are to use the gift that he's given us. It can enslave us when we misuse it. God's given us a good gift. Point number two is, it's a natural desire, so I won't or shouldn't repress it. This is a a pertinent view in our culture at the moment. The Corinthians had this phrase, apparently, that the food is meant for the stomach, and the stomach is meant for food. So they were insisting that as sexual organs were created for sex, that just as when you're hungry you go and eat, then when you feel aroused you should go and have sex. You shouldn't repress it, they would say. It's unhealthy, like starving yourself. Just as there's nothing spiritual about eating, they would say, there's nothing spiritual about sex, so why does it matter? It's just an appetite that we satisfy. Well, it's not a very logical way of thinking. C.S. Lewis, who wrote the um, Chronicles of Narnia books that many of you will be familiar with, he also wrote many other fantastic books um, that many preachers like myself will quote from regularly. And he said this, which is very uh, hilarious. He said, You can get a large audience together for a striptease act, that is, to watch a girl undress on the stage. Now suppose you come to a country where you could fill a theatre by simply bringing a covered plate onto the stage, then slowly lifting the cover so as to let everyone see, just before the lights went off, that it contained a mutton chop or a piece of bacon. Would you not think that in that country something had gone wrong with the appetite for food? You would, right? Can you imagine people sitting down in darkened rooms just downloading images of roast chickens <laughs> or, go, or going to the corner shop and saying, I'll have a magazine about potatoes, please. Do you want to take it home and look at them? You don't hear people say, deep down, I'm a food being. You hear people say, deep down, I'm a sexual being. It's a completely illogical argument. The whole nature-nurture debate doesn't come into play when it comes to food. Was I born a vegetarian or did I gradually develop a love for carrots. You don't have that debate, do you? It's, it's, it's completely different. There's something much deeper about sex that cuts to the core of who we are. Sex is a spiritual thing. And when we ignore that, we just come to see ourselves as animals. Many men see themselves today as just highly evolved animals. Who remembers the song by the Bloodhound Gang a few years ago? You and me, baby, we ain't nothing but mammals. So let's do it like they do on the Discovery Channel. That was a big hit a few years ago. And believe it or not, that is genuinely the view of many people today. I feel hungry, I go to the fridge. I feel aroused, I'm just going to go and have sex with whoever and whenever I want. Because it's just a natural desire. It's a result, really, of evolutionary thinking. Now, I'm not making a comment here on whether or not we've, there's been some of evolution or whatever. Um, I do believe God created everything and he's had his hand in everything But if you simply believe that we've evolved and God's never been involved in that whole process, then the logical conclusion to come to is that we are just animals. We're just evolved animals. There's no right, there's no wrong. If you feel hungry, you go to the fridge. If you feel aroused, you go and have sex. That's actually quite logical thinking. But that's not the case. We are not just highly evolved animals. Sex is not something that David Attenborough could comment on. It's nothing like it. Sex is something deeper than that. 
The Bible says you're an image bearer of God. That woman or man that you desire, they're an image bearer of God. God has made something amazing and it's supposed to be enjoyed in the context of marriage. Our adversary, the devil, wants sex to be cheapened to simply getting a snack from the fridge. God wants us to see it as something much deeper, much more valuable and much better for humanity. Sex within a loving marriage. Men and women are not just animals. This body is not meant for sexual immorality, we read just there, but for the Lord. Your body is meant to glorify God. That's what he's made it for, to bring him glory. The third view in our culture is that it doesn't do any harm. It doesn't affect anyone else. It's my body. But actually, we've seen in these verses here, haven't we, in verses 15 and 16, do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. So it really does concern someone else. In fact, it concerns several other people. Not realizing sex affects other people is the height of selfishness. You have formed a physical union with someone, and in some mysterious way that we won't fully understand this side of eternity, you've also formed some sort of spiritual union with them. It's a mystery. It does affect others. It affects you. It affects, if you're not married, it affects your future husband or wife. And it affects the person's future husband or wife that you're sleeping with. It affects others. And what's more is that you bring Jesus into the situation. If you're a Christian here, then you bring Jesus into the situation. You implement him in that act. I don't know if you're like me, but when you, um, you're just driving along, you look in your back mirror and you see a police car is behind you, everything suddenly changes. Right? So even if you're not speeding and you're not doing anything wrong, you just suddenly are aware of their presence behind you. So you just think, um, I've definitely got my seatbelt on, and it's clearly visible I've got some seatbelt on here. And you're definitely just hovering on the 30-mile-an-hour zone. You're not going a, a, a mile an hour over. You're just going to leave. Music's not too loud. You're just very aware suddenly the policeman's behind you. It's completely different, but also the same as this with Jesus. He's loving. He's our brother. He's our saviour. He's not waiting for us to slip up so that he can just turn the blue flashing lights on and come after us. It's not like that at all. But yet at the same time, we should be conscious of the fact that he comes with us. We're members of Christ. He is with us. And therefore, we wouldn't get involved in some of the things we get involved with if we were aware that Jesus is with us, that he comes with us. So it does affect others as well. It affects the reputation of Christ as we implement him in it, as he comes with us. So it does affect others, and your body, we read here, is not your own. You are bought at a price that we've sung about today. The cross of Jesus Christ, him dying in our place, taking the punishment we deserve, taking our sin and our shame, him in agony on the cross, that was the cost that it cost God to bring us into his family. You were bought at a price. Let that sink in. You were bought at a price. Your body is not your own. This is how the Bible responds to these three views. Let's uh, look at something a bit more cheerful, shall we? Let's go to chapter 7. I'm going to read a few verses of it. Now concerning the matters about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to have sexual relations with a woman. This is what they've been saying. 
But because of the temptation to sexual immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. The husband should give to his wife her conjugal rights and likewise the wife to her husband. For the wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. Likewise, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Do not deprive one another, except perhaps by agreement for a limited time, that you may devote yourselves to prayer. But then come together again, so that Satan may not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. Summarizing that passage in just 20 seconds, if you're married, make time to have lots of sex. Some of you men are glad that you came along today. (laughs) Make time to enjoy sex together if you're married. Sex has been created by God as unity glue to be enjoyed within the context of a lifelong marriage between a man and a woman. And our adversary, the devil, he does everything to get you into bed before marriage and to keep you out of bed when you are married. Make space and time for it. So, we've got to get our head out of the sand when it comes to these things. We've got to see what's really being sold to us in our society, and we've got to learn to walk properly. We've got to learn to walk in the ways that God teaches us in the Bible. Now, just a few things to say before we close. What if you're sitting here and you think, this is all well and good, Tom, but I have messed up in this area. I've got this wrong again and again and again. What about me? What about me? Let me tell you this, there is mercy and grace and forgiveness for you. Let me read to you this amazing verse from 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is what God promises you. Come to him with it. Say, God, I've messed up here. I've got this wrong. I'm sorry. I want to turn away from this. Help me. He will cleanse you. He will forgive you from all unrighteousness. You can know freedom from the past. Every chain he breaks. We re- we've sung that this morning. He's come to break chains. Some of us feel chained to the past of things that we've done or things that have been done to us. He can come and break the chains today. He can come and completely smash them. So come to the cross. We're going to sing in just a moment as we finish and we're going to rejoice in what Jesus has done for us on the cross He can break those chains away. You can know forgiveness. You can know cleansing for all the things that you've got wrong in this area and indeed any other area of your life. The second thing is this. We don't judge people, especially not outside of the church. That's what Paul says. We are to bring some level of judgment to those within the church in a loving way where we say, hey, I think maybe you're stepping into some wrong stuff here. Let's help you through that. We don't do it in a harsh way. We speak the truth in love. We've talked about this a number of times as a church. We do bring correction where we see people walking in wrong ways within the church in a loving way. But we don't judge those outside of the church. This is what Paul says. You can read it. It's in the same book. We're not to judge those outside of the church. And some of us do that. Some of us, we look down and we see what's going on. We're sitting up on our high horse. And we think, oh, look at these awful people doing these awful things. What I've said this morning is really to paint a picture of where our society is at, I'm sorrowful, I'm sorrowful about it. I'm sad about it. It breaks my heart to see where we're at as a society. But I'm no better than anyone. I'm no better than anyone. I don't judge people and think I'm better than them. It was just exactly where I was at before I came to know Jesus. 
exactly where I was at. So we don't judge people outside of the church. We bring correction inside of the church. We don't judge people outside of the church. Final thing to say is this. Bring stuff into the light. I've talked about getting before God. I've talked about asking him for forgiveness and cleansing. You need to do that. But if you're struggling in the area of sex and relationships, bring it into the light. Speak to someone. Speak to a trusted friend or your spouse. Speak to them and say, I'm struggling here. Can you, can you help me? Can you help me to, to get before God on this? Bring it into the light. Because if you keep it hidden down and secret, then you're going to stay where you are. But actually by bringing it into the light, you will get free from it. You will know freedom. And there'll be a chance to pray today for that. Father God, we just look to you now and we ask that you would help us to get things right in this area. Help us to walk in the daytime. Help us to walk in the light. Let us not be sleepwalking into error and sin here. Help us to get our heads out of the sand, to know that we are uh, in a battle here, that there is an adversary who wants to tempt us into error and sin. Help us to see that you've given sex as a good thing, to be enjoyed within marriage, to be uh, between a man and a woman for life. I pray that there will be marriages across this room that would reflect the kind of thing that we see in Song of Solomon. Joyful, flourishing marriage, delighting in the spouse of our youth, delighting in the one that you've given us for life. I pray that where people have... um, got things wrong, that they would come to you now for forgiveness. They'd come to you now for that cleansing. They'd come to you now to be able to walk free from the past. I pray, Father God, that you would in every way help us to shine in this town and in the surrounding areas in the way of relationships. Help us to be holy and pure and help us to enjoy the very good gift that you've given us to its maximum. Lord, thank you that you know what's best for us. You know what's beneficial for us. And so we look to you because you're the one with all wisdom in this area. I pray, Lord, that there'd be freedom today. I pray that there'd be freedom for people as they pray to, to you, as they come together with someone else and ask for prayer. I pray that there'd be freedom for people from things that they're enslaved to, or from things that in the past maybe have been done to them, they need to let go of now, definitely once and for all, and walk free. Father God, would you do a deep work in hearts today? Would walls come down? As was said earlier, would walls come down? And would you help us as we we continue in this series in the coming weeks to grasp what you say about these issues and take them to our heart? In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to audio from Hope Church Ipswich. Please feel free to make a copy of this content, but please do not edit the content in any way.